going through three different books right now. John's got James, Matt's got Luke, and I've got Philippians. So this morning, um, we're going to continue in that in chapter 1. Um, and uh, see so if you remember, I, I keep reminding you this, but every time it's good to keep it in your mind. So Philippians is written while Paul is under house arrest. Um, he's chained to a Roman soldier, right? And he's in Rome. And the last time I preached was six weeks ago, and the verses we focused on then were uh, verses 9 through 11. Um, and in those verses, uh, Paul instructed um, God's people how they were to live together in the church. So it was very applicable to us being a church as well. And um, in those verses, his prayer is that the love of God's people toward one another would abound more and more. And he sums up uh, these instructions with God's purpose for their lives. And his purpose is that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, or what we commonly call the fruit of the Spirit. And this is righteousness that is attained only through the work of Jesus Christ. And um, this righteousness and the way they're, they're living is all to the glory and praise of God, and that's the purpose of their life, right? It's the purpose of our lives. And so when we pick up in verse 12 today, we've got verses, uh, is it 12? I've got 13 through 18 here, and it might be 12 through 18. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it's 12 through 18. So I, I wrote something wrong on my paper. Um, so we're going to pick up today in verse 12, and I want you to keep in your mind what we learned from verses 9 through 11 last time. And then we're going to apply that same viewpoint, right, because we're continuing on um, to these verses that we're looking at today. And, um, and we're going to see that uh, what we're talking about today, and you know, still continuing from last time, what brings Paul joy and satisfaction with his life. And this is whatever the situation, right? So he's continued to remember that he's in jail, right? And this is by application... Um, when we look at what Paul's viewpoint is, um, what should bring us joy and satisfaction in our lives as well? And the only thing that can bring joy and satisfaction. And so if you would stand with me, we're going to read. Um, I'm reading from the ESV, but some of you might have NASB or some others. Would you stand with me? Let me read, if you're able. Starting in verse 12, this is Philippians chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Father, again, just come to you um, needing grace, needing your mercy. Lord, let us um, hear your words spoken today and fall deep um, within our souls and regenerate us um, by the words that you spoke to us. Um, we thank you for your word and that we're able to, um, to study it and to learn about it. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. 
Okay, so you know, I've been studying this for several weeks now, um, or actually months, and we've just gotten down to you know, about halfway through Philippians chapter 1. And, um, right, so this is a letter from Paul to Philippian church. He's, he's writing from Rome. And I've been noticing that there's two kind of main concepts that we can always glean from a letter like this, right? And it's not, it's not always true from all scripture, but, and um, I think without realizing it, I've been sharing, like, these, these kind of concepts with you the last several times I've preached. Um, and, uh, you know, in cases where we, where we understand the context, like we have here in Philippians, right, where, what, what Paul's situation is and, um, you know, who he's writing to, that kind of thing, and what was going on historically, when we have all that, um, and the writer found him divinely inspired to write these words down, we can not only take away... Uh, you know, the writing itself, meaning like commands and information, you know, about the nature of God and historical facts, prophecy, those kind of things. But we can also understand through the context, as we do here in this letter, um, with Paul in jail, as he says, right? We can start to see by the speech and words he uses how a spirit-filled and God-seeking person rightly responds to the environment that he's been placed in. This letter is a great opportunity to look at the scripture that way. And so, as you know, I'm not, uh, I didn't go to seminary or Bible college or anything, and I only had one, believe it or not, I had one writing class in engineering school. That's it. It's a good one. Um, so, I, you know, anyway, maybe this idea has some kind of name that I'm not aware of, this kind of concept of, of um, you know, this situational analysis or whatever you want to call it, but I think it's good to approach this particular passage. Um, we can learn a lot by looking at it this way. Um, and that's trying to take the same worldview as Paul has, right? So when you find yourself in the midst of a trial in this life, like whether it be physical or anything, um, you can remember to look here, look at Philippians 1 or look at this letter, um, and you'll, you'll realize your life's purpose, and in doing so, in any circumstance, you'll find that you should be focused on Christ and advancing his kingdom with joy and not dwelling on any temporal trial, whether it's your health or financial or personal, you know, relationship kind of situations that might break down or anything like that. Okay. And um, so as we typically do, let's start verse by verse, and we'll start in verses 12 and 13. So if you want to look in your Bible with me. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so, as we already saw, so you look back in verse 7 of this chapter, we looked at it a few weeks ago, and I already mentioned it. Paul tells the hearers and the readers that, you know, this letter, he is in prison in chains, right? He's chained to a Roman soldier. Um, It's kind of house arrest. I don't know if we're really sure exactly the situation that he's in, um, but it's it's kind of, it's not exactly like a, a dungeon castle prison or anything like that, but um, in verse 12, where he says, that has happened to me, so look in verse 12, and he says, that what has happened for me, to me, and he's simply referring to events about his life's journey where he found himself in captivity in Rome. So think about when we first meet Paul, or Saul, right, all the way to this point, and think about this, that's not just his current captivity that has really served to advance the gospel, Right? It's his entire calling by God and his regeneration 
and repentance to faith in Christ that began the reason he is where he is at this point in history, right? He came from, you know, stoning Christians or whatever and um, to this point where he's in, is in prison for Christ. And, of course, God had known Paul from eternity and numbered his days, but the vision Paul had of Christ on the road to Damascus really had started this advancement of the gospel, as it says here in verse 12. So then, more specific to this point in time, in verse 13, he starts to refer to his current imprisonment. And this imprisonment is for Christ, and this is being known, he says, throughout the whole imperial guard. And this imperial guard, what these, these words are, I did some, some research, not a lot, but, and this was, a, in a way, like kind of a private army of Caesar, right, in Rome. And this was concentrated there in that city. And so no doubt that Paul had many different guards, right, chained to him um, during his time there. Um, who all heard the gospel from the apostle himself. Just imagine that, being, being told the gospel from the apostle Paul. Wouldn't that be crazy? So in addition, Paul was imprisoned for a very abnormal reason. Right? So most of the time, these guys were in jail, murder, other things like that. But um, if you recall um, back to the last uh, seven chapters of Acts, uh, what has gone there, right? they may have heard of, you know, on Malta, like being bitten by a poisonous snake, um, and not dying from it. Um, and he, you know, Acts says he healed a bunch of uh, people that were living on the island. So all that took place there, and these, these people, you know, may have heard about that kind of thing. And this is kind of a special guy. So in a way, you know, I'll draw a parallel. Everybody, maybe not everybody knows that we have six children, almost seven. Um, and so walking around in parallel, you know, with a large family, it's kind of conspicuous, right? So, um, Typically, that leads to a lot of discussion with various people. So anyway, maybe it's a um, strange analogy to make, but for me, that was the analogy, right? Like um, using something in your life uh, as, as a way to turn conversation toward, toward the gospel, which we do on occasion, right? Um, when we're walking through Costco with two shopping carts full of kids and groceries and everything like that, people kind of, what's this about? I don't understand. So anyway, um, Maybe the same type of situation was happening there, right? And so the guards would have known that this was not a dangerous criminal, right? And, he, and they would have heard the reason he was locked up. And so, you know, not that Paul necessarily needs a segue to preach the gospel, but, you know, this could have been one. And um, Paul says that the, the gospel has spread to a number of the guards um, throughout the whole imperial guard, Right? And one could possibly assume that the advance of the gospel also means that there are conversations taking place within that group of people, and then even the people that are peripheral to them, like any you know, cooks or anybody that's supporting the army, right? Um, their families or their friends, and then others. And then we see that, if you look down at verse 14, that the church in Rome, and probably other places, right? So he was writing to Philippi, so certainly they would have heard this. Um, so the, the people in Philippi then and probably around, also know about Paul's imprisonment. And send, uh, so then he says all the rest in verse 13. Um, and later on, we, we get the feeling that probably, you know, the, the church all around the Mediterranean kind of knows that he's in prison just because of, um, um, you know, for example, down in, in 17 there, um, it says, thinking that the people are, are, are preaching the gospel not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So there's a sense in which, you know, it's possible that, that these people doing this may have been, you know, 
using that as a way to, to gain power or to preach against Paul. So, um, anyway, so I, I don't want to read too much into this situation because you could read a lot of stuff into it and it's not really all there. Um, so I don't want to overstate that, but you know, the, the point of this situation is that his imprisonment has further or has served to further God's kingdom, right? That's the point of, of, this, of this section. And Paul can see, the other important point is that Paul can see the sovereign work of God. And he can see the hand of God at work in his imprisonment. And so, you know, when, here's something to consider. When Paul writes his letter to the church in Rome, um, you know, the book we, we call Romans, that's Paul's letter to the Roman church, and he writes it from Corinth during his third missionary journey because he references Phoebe and others in, the, in Corinth we hear about in Corinthians. Um, and their, their job is to deliver that letter to the church in Rome. Um, and so in Romans, Paul says how he longs to visit them, right, in chapter 1. And so if you, want to, if you have a Bible with a map, it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting to look at. If you flip over there, um, you might see you know, Paul's first, second, and third missionary journeys. And usually it's in the back or front of your Bible. Um, and you'll see that Paul is basically on his way back to Jerusalem. So this is his third missionary journey. Um, and so he's on his, on his way back um, to Jerusalem. And if you look at where Corinth is, um, he's, you know, he's talking about, in Romans, planning another trip all the way to Spain, right? And um, you know, he plans to pass through Rome and... and um, at that time, um, you know, he, when, he pa- when he plans to pass through Rome, he plans to visit the people there. That's what he's talking about. And, um, but anyway, he's, he's on his way back to Palestine now, which is what we call Israel today. And um, you know, so just consider that Paul is going to, he's planning on in his mind, right, going to Spain, visiting the people in Rome. This is what he's writing in Romans. And um, so he ends up in Rome, right, in prison, but clearly, he's visiting the people in the Roman church, like, not the way he planned, right, at all. Um, he plans to travel to Rome freely and not in a boat, which ends up shipwrecked on Malta and so on, right? And so here I want to briefly mention, um, to set up an important point, and that is in verse 16, um, he uses the phrase, and this is the ESV that I'm, I'm going to read out of, but I'll, I'll go through the NASB too. Um, it, so the important point is that the ESV translates a Greek word as put here. Um, so I've been put here for the defense of the gospel, as he says. Um, and then the Greek word is this word that's, that's said, kemai, kemai. And the NASB translates the word as appointed, right? In other places, the same words used and translated um, destined for, okay? So we have uh, put here. We have appointed to or appointed for, and we have destined for. And so what I want you to see by all these these different ways to translate this word is that this appointment with the imperial guard in jail, right, and the people in relation to this location was no accident at all, right? This point in time for the advancement of the gospel, because he's put here, is to take place divine, and it's divinely ordained by God. So when he says that this situation was appointed or that he was destined for or put here, this is the providential hand of God at work. 
And Paul's visit to Rome was not, occur- not occurring under the circumstances that he imagined it would, as we, we talked about. So now here's the application for us, as I mentioned at the beginning. So how would you react if this was, re- was you? right? So think about that. And then extrapolate that or expand that to other areas of your life. You may not end up in jail. Maybe someday you will, right, for your faith or otherwise, hopefully not. But um, So when things don't go as you plan them to, um, just think about how you react, right? And I'm not talking about things like you, you know, we were making cookie dough this morning and we ran out of eggs, right? I'm talking about like major detours in your life, right? Um, like you plan to have two children and we have almost seven now, something like that, right? Anyway. So there are a couple ideas, and I want you to take away from this, right? This being that God's plan to use you as an instrument in his kingdom may not be, and it's probably never situationally completely the same as you had in mind at some point in your life. And many of you have heard Proverbs 16.9. It says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Or Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Or Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And so the second idea I want you to take away from this um, these verses, is that God doesn't, doesn't depend on your plan to build his kingdom, right? It doesn't depend on your plan. So I'm not saying you shouldn't be obedient to him and have a heart for the lost. I'm not saying that. We're commanded to preach the gospel to every person, all of creation. But what I'm saying is that faith comes through hearing the word of God. Which Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we need not get caught up in fancy presentation, or making sure that you have the latest, fanciest version of, of the Evangicube, if you guys know what, what that is, right? There's all kinds of different versions of that. Um, or you get caught up in playing just the right emotional song for the invitation, or having the coolest and latest VBS curriculum. But you do need to know Scripture. That's the hard part. And you do need to know that you and I are commanded to simply preach the gospel of Christ. That is all that's necessary. God is the one who regenerates the spirit of dead men. So the challenge for us all is, do we know the gospel and scripture references so well that they can easily pour out of us like water from a pitcher at any opportunity? Do you know scripture that well? Not so that we can be convincing to people, but so that God will be honored by our obedient witness. And the people who he has called before the foundation of the world would come to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. So God's plan involves you, but it is God's plan. So now again, remember how I said I want to look at not only at what Paul's writing, so inspired commands, but also at the way a Christian should, should act even during what seems like a trial or setback. And so this is where we can compare our understanding and our response in life to the ideal. Not that Paul's sinless, but this is, this is, a, this is a good ideal to, to examine. So in these verses, we see that even when he's put, put right, in a, in a location or given a set of circumstances by God, Paul joyfully and faithfully preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he does it anywhere to anyone. And that's the question I have for you. Is that you? 
when you sit on your deathbed, someday that will come. Will you praise the name of Jesus Christ to all that can hear you? When you're persecuted, someday that may come. Will you praise the name of Jesus Christ in that? Do you trust God that whatever he gives you is what he is doing to build his kingdom? And are you faithfully following his commands in whatever he gives you? Do you preach salvation through Jesus Christ to your family, to your children, to your neighbors, and to your co-workers, or even to each other here? So this morning, are you brimming or abounding? Remember, we looked at the word abounding before. Or overflowing with joy, as Paul is here when he is in this situation so that joy must be seen by those around you. So moving on to verse 14. And you see, this is, this is what I'm talking about. This joy can be seen by those around you. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the joy that Paul has and the boldness by which he speaks and the length to which he will go to preach salvation through Christ has landed him in confinement. But this has only served to cause the gospel message to explode all the more because it has emboldened others to preach the same message. And so I want you to consider for a moment. So I don't want to stand up here and act like we shouldn't have you know, emotional responses to, to what goes on in our lives. Right? I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is really the summary of this entire message is this. Those emotional human responses need to be filtered through a correct view of a sovereign God and also filtered through an eternal security that just as we reviewed a few weeks ago in verse 6, this very chapter in Philippians, the God who began a good work in you, a regenerated work, right, from your death, will be faithful to complete it when we will be like Christ because we will see him as he is. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we have hope in. And this means without sin, without shame in front of our Savior. So put all your temporal circumstances continually through that filter and become bold in your preaching salvation and mercy only through Jesus Christ. And I'm preaching this to myself. What is there to fear? Is there pain? Is there loss of material things? Reputation in the world? All of that will pass away. All of it. So we're commanded... Be faithful and bold in your reaction to unexpected situations and simply lean on and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is that salvation only comes through him. Our hope is in nothing else. So everyone think about this. It's just more application. And kids, here's an easy thing. Kerrigan and Maddie, you hear me? Here's an easy way to think about this, Right? Have you ever wanted a toy or something, or a camper, or a car? I mean, this is me too, right? So badly, only after you got it, it didn't really bring you any continuing joy. Didn't at all. And so it is with any other thing than Jesus Christ. What can seem so troublesome, right? Pain, whatever. Or desirable, toys, whatever. At the moment in our finite lives, should not really be troublesome or desirable when you compare that to the joy found in a sovereign creator, a savior, and a friend. So now in verse 15, Paul's move from the boldness that has come to the brothers from this imprisonment to the way in which this boldness is causing them to preach the gospel message. 
So verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, evidently, there are several groups preaching the same gospel, right? And so this isn't to be confused with those preaching a different gospel that we we sometimes hear about in the New Testament. And so if you remember in Galatians, um, Paul calls the church there foolish in chapter 3. So you use foolish Galatians. And they're falling for a false gospel. And in chapter 1, in Galatians, Paul says this, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of, of Christ. And so these, through some study, you know, these are apparently were legalistic and usually they're, they're Jewish, right? Um, Jewish descent, who promoted salvation through works such as um, circumcision and other standards of obedience. And so one group is translated as the circumcision party in Acts and Galatians here. But the people who Paul is referring to in our Philippians text, so Philippians 1, are preaching the true gospel, but they are preaching it for selfish reasons and not out of goodwill toward Paul or possibly to Christ. It doesn't say that necessarily, but we have to question what their motives are. And so that's one of the things I struggle with in preparing this sermon, was trying to determine these people that we're talking about um, that were, that were preaching with selfish ambition, were they Christians or not, right? Um, and I guess, you know, after doing some, some more reading, and then I actually called Bethel's dad yesterday to talk about it. Uh, Bethel's dad's a, a pastor, if you guys, or he was a pastor, maybe, if you didn't know. Um, I came to the conclusion that exactly uh, what was going on here with these different groups is, is kind of difficult to tell, and it honestly is not super important for what we're talking about today. Um, you could, I think, um, you know, have normal political stuff going on within a church um, that you know, just happens because of sin. Um, you know, people that just didn't get along for whatever reason or they had differences in doctrine, maybe music, right? What we like to argue about all the time. Um, you know, or you could have had people that were highly focused on themselves where the gospel wasn't really central to their lives. And then the way they preached... Um, the gospel was present there anyway. Um, so a little like some of the preachers on television today, is the closest parallel I could draw maybe. The motives might be mixed. Um, there might be money involved or there might be fame involved. Um, and uh, the only other, exa- other example I could think of is maybe the mega church, right? Or these churches that try to maintain a bunch of different campuses under one leadership structure, right? And... Uh, I mean, maybe it works, but maybe you wonder what's really the motive, right, for, for this kind of um, this preaching. So it's probably, anyway, impossible for us to know um, or to judge the hearts of these men, or, or even men in our age, uh, for that matter. But regardless, the important point here is that Paul says in verse 18, um, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, so pretense just means like a false... Uh, way about it, or, or a lie almost. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so finally, what I really want you to take away from this passage, again, is in whatever circumstance Paul finds himself, what brings him the most joy is that Christ is magnified. 
And so finally, the questions I've repeatedly asked you about your source of joy, we're going to keep coming back to those. We need not find joy in our location or earthly success. And I urgently ask you to only find joy in our salvation and in the work that Christ has done for you, in being his servant and in preaching his gospel. I'm going to read from Psalm here for a minute. And the psalmist says this, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty in his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just, and, he, and his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Let's pray. Father, may your praise endure forever. Help us in any circumstance to sing your praise, to sing the praise of of the good news of Christ, to sing the praise of what we have in him, which is righteousness imputed through his death. Lord, I ask that you help us to remember that every day of our lives. We go out from here, so with each other, even in with each other, speak to each other with joy, speak to others with joy about the work you have done. Amen. All right, so to close today, I think we're going to, you want to sing?